Good morning. Good morning. Well, I guess they were really testing if two or more are gathered in his name these days. Huh? <laughs> Chuck, you got to go grab a couple of those cyclists they run by, ride by, pull them in. <laughs> Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together. We thank you for the word, for your word, so that we can understand and, and learn and study that we can become better servants for you, Lord. We ask that during this time that we are, our hearts and minds are open so that we can learn, we can be taught, we can better understand your will for us and how you would have us become closer, closer to you and more like your son. This we ask in your son's Jesus' name. Amen. Well, perhaps you, like I, sometimes feel like we have the, um, the fragrance of the flames of persecution in the air. And um, today's um, reading, I think, will speak to that. A passion to please God. I have learned in whatsoever state that I'm in to be content, Philippians 4.11. Popularity and praise can be far more dangerous for the Christian than persecution. They can turn us away from God without our even being aware of it, making us like those in Jesus' day who loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Unfortunately, it is easy when all goes well to lose our perspective. Instead, we must learn, like Paul, to be content in whatever state we find ourselves in. The important thing is to have one consuming passion to please Christ. Then, whatever happens, we know he has permitted it, he's permitted it to take place, to teach us, to perfect us for his service. He will enrich our circumstances, be they pleasant or disagreeable. By his presence, he is with us. Ask God to keep you from worrying about what others think and to make you content with whatever he sends our way. All the tomorrows of our lives have to pass him before they get to us. The hope for today Peace comes when we abandon our people-pleasing efforts and focus on Christ instead. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Obey the Lord. Show his mercy. The things that please Christ never change. Wow, there is a few. I saw the
scripture for today comes from Psalms 22 verses 23 through 31 praise the Lord all you who fear him honor him all you descendants of Jacob show him reverence all you descendants of Israel for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy he has not turned his back on them but has listened to their cries for help. I will praise you with, in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and 
return to him. All the families of the nations will bow before him. For royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast in worship. Bow before him, all who are mortal. All whose lives will end is dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. And if you'd like to stand as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. me, bright as the sun from pole to pole. I thank the God I know to be, for Christ the conqueror of my soul. Since it's a sway of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud. Under that rule which men call chance, joy is humbly bowed. Beyond this place of sin and tears, that life with him and his the aid, despite the madness of the years, peace and shall keep me unafraid. I have no fear, though straight the gate, he cleared from power me the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. Amen. Our New Testament scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 31 through 38. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And uh, we have a responsive reading. Look on my suffering and deliver me, for I have not forgotten your law. Defend my cause and redeem me. Preserve my life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked. They do not seek out your decrees. Your compassion, Lord, is great. Preserve my life according to your laws. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the gifts we give today, we know we're only giving back a part of what really belongs to you anyway. We ask that you bless it, that we use it wisely, that we use it to further your kingdom, that others may come to know you, Lord, and that they may come to love you as we do. And Lord, during this time, we want to learn to love you even more, to know to know more about you is to love more about you. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad you could all get a seat. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me, when, when I first started, uh, we planted a church here in Tucson, and uh, when I first started, there were five people in the congregation. <laughs> yeah. So I'd stand up there, preach to five people, and you know, it, was, it, was, it was always kind of, sometimes somebody would ask me a question. <laughs> you know, it was, it was just a, a strange kind of setting. I mean, it, it grew after that. But, uh. Well, the text we have this morning has all the um, glamour and appeal of a New York City telephone directory. Um, or a family reunion at, you know, it's, we're, we're coming in on, we're coming to the end of the book of Colossians, if you can believe it. And it's like being in on a family reunion where you're the only one that doesn't know everybody there. And everybody's talking about the good old days and Uncle George and Aunt Helen and all this stuff. And you're, and you're kind of, um, um, you know, a bystander. But there, I believe there are some really good lessons. In fact, I really love this section of Colossians because there's some really deep lessons in this uh, for us as believers. So uh, let me read it. It's Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 18. So we're covering quite a few verses. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me, Paul is saying to Tychicus. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know all about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our, dear, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Bar Barnabas. <clears throat> you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. 
Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and their church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Father, we ask that you will, your grace will indeed be with us. As we study your word this morning, I thank you, Lord, that your word has such incredible power that it penetrates to the dividing of soul and spirit. And, Lord, that you bring uh, renewal in our lives. You bring transformation in our lives through the preaching, through the ingesting of your word. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you will speak to each and every one of us this morning by and through your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want to talk by, um, <clears throat> start by talking <clears throat> a little bit about the geography of Colossae. We talked about this somewhat when we started, uh, but this section is a whole lot about geography. And if you remember, Paul was in Ephesus, um, and that Colossae was evangelized from Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. But some of them became obstinate, that is the Jews. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took all the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now Asia was not like today where it's, you know, it's all of you know, what we call Asia, the whole Orient, the East, uh, but was... Uh, more what we would call, I don't know what we would call it today, well, it's part of Turkey, it's western part of Turkey. And Colossae was about 123 miles from Ephesus. So uh, when Paul then was daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, and then the word would spread through that whole region, and all those churches were planted during his time. And Colossae was situated in Phrygia on the southern bank of the river Lysus, a southern tributary of the Meander River. Um, and the Meander River is what we get our word meander, to meander. It means to wander or kind of, you know, wander around, wind around. And the Meander River was very windy. And so uh, that's, that's what we, where we get the word uh, uh, in our English, uh, meander. And it's a very fertile valley, uh, still is today, produced particularly large crops of figs and olives, and it does that today too. There's, there's just all kinds of very, actually very fertile area right there. Um, and it lay on the main road from Ephesus and Sardis to the Euphrates. And so, um, according to Josephus, Antiochus III brought 2,000 Jewish families from Babylon and Mesopotamians settled them in Lydia and Phrygia in that, in that whole region. And so there were three cities then uh, in that same area, Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. Hierapolis is up on the, up on the hill. And 
Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this later. Um, not, not today, but we'll talk about it later. Um, but Hierapolis was what they call today is Pamukkale in, in Turkish, and it means the cotton, um, cotton castle. And it's, it's uh, mineral waters that come down out of a hot spring, and so it flows down over a hill, and it's all white. So there's a, you look and there's a whole, you know, a very high hill, and it's all just totally white. And then there are little pools in it, uh, and it's called uh, Pamukkale. Very popular tourist area because it was a hot springs and known for healing powers and that. Um, there was a huge earthquake in 61 AD that caused a great deal of damage. And so um, I bring all this up because I have changed my mind about where I think uh, the letter to the Colossians was written from. We know who it was written to, that's no problem, and where Colossae is. But we don't, um, but the kind of the standard um, view of it is that Paul was in Rome. And after listening to a number of different people and reading some more materials, um, I think that, it, it, that Paul was actually in Ephesus at the time. We know he was in prison, so it, and, and it's not sure, we don't know, but I think the evidence is toward him being in Ephesus rather than in Rome. And let me just give you a couple of reasons for that. Um, the first thing is that the people that Paul talked about were much more related to Ephesus than Rome. Timothy, Tychicus, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, John, Mark, uh, be much more likely to be in the Ephesus area. And the second part is that it's, it's uh, the Lycus River Valley, the next, the next uh, yeah. So you see this, this, um, this slide. Ephesus is on the left there, and Ephesus was on the coast. And then you see this river, this, this valley that runs over to Colossae. Um, and today that, today that whole area is called uh, Denizli, but it's a, you know, it's a natural um, route from Colossae to Ephesus. And so uh, it's very likely that Paul then was in Ephesus uh, writing to the Colossian believers. And there's a lot of going back and forth, and particularly in this section, there's a lot of going back and forth. Uh, you know, if somebody comes, give them this. You know, uh, he's, he's sending Tychicus to, you know, give news and so on. And particularly when he talks about on, uh, Ones, Onesiphorus, Onesimus, I'm sorry, Onesimus, and Ones, Onesimus is a runaway slave, and it's very unlikely that Onesimus could have gone to Rome, 1,200 miles away, and come back and, and go back again. Um, you know, it's just too, too great a distance, too much, too much space, too much time to do that. Furthermore, Aristarchus was in prison with Paul. Um, in Philemon 22, it says, One more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And if you remember, Aristarchus was the one who, when they uh, came for in, in, um, in, in the amphitheater, and they came for Paul 
in Ephesus and wanted to, you know, there's a riot by uh, Demetrius. And Paul, uh, they couldn't find Paul, so they took Aristarchus. Um, and Aristarchus then they, they take down into the amphitheater and they're yelling out, great is, the, great is, uh, is Diana of the Ephesians, or, or um, <coughs> yeah, great is Diana of the Ephesians. That's, that's the, uh, the Latin. <coughs> so if Colossians was written from Ephesus, then we probably need to date the letter in the mid-50s or even 57. So again, either one is possible, but I kind of think it probably makes more sense that the book was written from, uh, from Ephesus. And we know that Paul was in prison in Ephesus, and so we, we surmise then that uh, Aristarchus was with Paul in prison there. So the rest of the time, I want to talk then about what do we learn from this section, from this New York City telephone directory. You know, what, what, do we, uh, what do we get from this? And the first thing is this. Um, just a reminder that what we call an epistle, we kind of think of, you know, it's a writing, but it wasn't. It was a letter from one person to another person. And it's very personal. Um, all, these, all these letters, they're just Paul writing to the believers in Colossae. And, and so many of what we have in the New Testament is just letters written from somebody to a bunch of friends. And they're not theological treatises. Some of them approach that, like uh, the book of Ephesians. But many of them, they're just, they're just letters. And so at the end, Paul signs it and he says, you know, say hi to this person and that person and this person, that person in their house, you know, the church that's in their house and so on. And he is, he is uh, you know, it, it's a letter. It's very personal. And I think that's a good reminder for us that, the church is all about people, isn't it? You know, yes, it's great, and I'm, you know, I'm one of the first ones to want to, you know, to me, doctrine is very important, and right doctrine is extremely important. But the church is all about people. And it's this, this very simple message of people connecting with other people, and people helping other people to grow in Christ. And so there's great interaction in Colossians 4.16. It says, After this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Because Colossae and Laodicea are about eight miles away. Uh, both of them on the Lycus River. And they're both, uh, they're both so they're, you know, they're very close to each other. So Paul says, you know, take this letter, read it in Laodicea, swap letters. We don't know what happened to the letter to the Laodiceans. It, it, we don't have it anymore. Um, but there's this, this going back and forth between the churches. Furthermore, the letters would be read aloud um, as many were illiterate. Um, you know, they didn't have the literacy that we have today. Um, so I want to just to emphasize again the small nature of the churches in Paul's day. When Paul was writing to churches, you know, he wasn't writing to a 2,000-member church somewhere. He was writing to a few believers collected in a house someplace. Uh, he talks about the church to, in, in Nympha's house. 
And, you know, it's just a small number of people. And we've had the privilege over these last 20 years or so of planting churches in the same area that Paul planted churches here and in the same kinds of circumstances. They're very small numbers of people. You know, we, you know when, we, when we write, I think the next, yeah. Okay, when we write, if we were to write letters to the churches, or in our case, emails, um, we'd talk about Panar and, and uh, Davut, you know, because they're in Dikilim. We'd write and say, I, you know, how are you doing? What, what, what's happening? Now we call them, actually we call them on WhatsApp. But, but it's that same kind of thing. It's just a few people. And in the town that they're in, in Dikili, there's just a handful of believers. When we first started, I've told you this before, uh, 20-some years ago, there were no believers, and now there's a, you know, a handful of believers in each of these different little towns. Well, it was the same kind of way with that. Or, or we might, uh, the next slide, or we might talk about Naile. Uh, and Naile is uh, quadriplegic, and, and she's a church planter in this little town on, the, on, the, uh, on the, what, what we call the Corfez. But it's all a very small number of believers. And that, to me, is, you know, it's just worthwhile to remember that. And sometimes we make the gospel, and I know I do this, make it so complicated. And it isn't. It's just a small number of people, one beggar telling another beggar where to find a piece of bread. I mean, that's really what it's all about. We're, we're, you know, we're a small number of believers, and we're connecting with other people. That's what the church is all about. Second thing I want you to call to your attention is the heterogeneity of Paul's companions. Um, Paul talks about Onesimus, who was a slave. Nympha, who's a woman church leader. Luke, a doctor. Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner. And in his list, this list that we have, there are five Jews and five Gentiles. Now, Jews and Gentiles working together is really something. Because the Jews were taught, you, you should have no, nothing to do with the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were definitely outsiders. Um, you know, they were, they were outside of everything. But yet, they're all traveling with Paul. They're, they're together in ministry, Jews and Gentiles working together. And they were interacting through Paul's ministry, ministering together, and that's a huge milestone in the life of the church. Remember in Acts chapter 15, and there's this transition in the church where they realize that the Gentiles are to be included as well. That was a huge deal in the early church. And so there are ten people mentioned, five Jews and five Gentiles. Um, it would be like Jews and Palestinians working together today. All right. You know, it's, I mean, there's, there's a hatred. There's the, you know, you just don't mix. So among the Jews, then, are Tychicus. And Tychicus, in verse 7, it says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Secondly, we have Onesimus. And we'll talk more about, bit about him later. And Aristarchus, who, he says, is a fellow prisoner. He sends his greeting. He's a Macedonian. And as I said, there was a riot in Ephesus. 
stirred up by Demetrius the silversmith. And so um, all these people rush into the amphitheater in Ephesus and they take Aristarchus. So that's why, you know, part of the reason I believe that this is, um, this is written from Ephesus because we know that Aristarchus is in prison. We know he's put into prison. Uh, in Acts chapter 19 it says, Soon the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and rushed as one man into the theater. And a lot of times, we, you know, when we go to this amphitheater, and I, I, don't, I, always, I, always, uh, I always stand in, in the amphitheater and I'll yell out, uh, Great is, is Artemis of the Ephesians! <laughs> Just because that, that, was the, that was the cry at the time. If you remember, the whole, the whole thing came to naught in the end. Then there was Mark. Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. It says in Colossians 4.10, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. We'll talk more about him later. And then there's Jesus, who's called Justice. So we have five Jews, and then we have five Gentiles. Epaphras, we'll talk more about him. Luke, our friend Luke, the doctor. Demas sends greetings. Now Luke is the same one that wrote what? Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. So he wrote two of the major um, history <clears throat> books that we have in our New Testament. Demas, uh, all it says is he sends greetings. The brothers at Laodicea, give my greetings to them. Exchange letters with them. Nympha, who's a woman, has a church in her house. Probably she is a leader of that home church. In Archippus, he says, see to it that you complete the work. So what do we learn from this less then? I believe that in the church, just as in Paul's day, where there was a great heterogeneity, there, were a, there was a whole mix of people, I believe that the church ought to be the, the place where there is a mix of people. Now, I'm not saying necessarily each individual congregation, but the church as a whole is, a, is an incredible uh, blending of all kinds of different races and ethnicities and ages and so on and so forth. In fact, the church is one of the few places where people from all walks of life come together for the one purpose of giving praise to God. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that all of you agree with one another so that there be, may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. There's a, um, a, a video out, and I, I would love to have shown you a little bit of it, but I couldn't figure out the technology of it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm not that, not that sophisticated. But it is a video in... You know, if there's any place in the face of this earth where there's trouble, it's the Middle East. Isn't that right? I mean, you, it, you, you can't turn on the news any day of the week and not find some kind of trouble in the Middle East. Well, there's a video out, and it's, it's the Lord's Prayer and the blessing from different ethnic groups and languages in the greater Middle East. And here's all of these people from all these different nations worshiping God together at the same time, but in their own countries. And it's in 
Coptic Egyptian, Turkish, Copti uh, Iranian, Kurdish, Lebanese, Assyrian, Israeli, Persian, Armenian, Arabic for Maman, Afghan, Iraqi Kurdish, Arabic Kafar Yasuf, and Circassian and regular Arabic, Arabic Turan. Okay, so it's all these different language groups in all these different places where there's, where there's incredible conflict. And they're all praising God together. Yeah, and it's all in little squares, and it's all put together. They're all, they're all in their different places, they're, but they're singing the same song together in all these different languages. And it just reminds me, the grace of God and the way God brings the church together, and that the church, I believe, is in the business, and, and I will believe we're going to see this you know, all over the world, I'm seeing it, that the church is the place where all these different ethnicities come together and worship Christ together. There is only one who can unite the Middle East and who can unite the world, and that's Jesus Christ. And we've, we've seen it, and I, I, am, I am thrilled by it. Uh, and it, there's a whole bunch of those same videos. There's one in the UK. There's, uh, they're just all over the Arab, Arab world all these different ones, all of them worshiping God together. And you could only do it with the technology we have today. I mean, you know, it couldn't be done any other way. Third lesson that I want to lift up is that God is a God of redemption. He is a wonderful, incredible God of redemption. And if anyone knew about the grace of God, it was Paul. You know, Paul, the one who was a, the persecutor of the church and becomes the main proponent of the church and wrote this epistle. The first one that we can talk about is Mark. Uh, verse 10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sent you his greeting, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes, welcome him. Now, Mark was the cousin of Barnabas, as it says, and Mark accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. All right? And, and it says in Acts 13, 13, from Paphos, okay, that's in Cyprus. Um, next, next slide. Well, yeah, okay. You see where Cyprus is there? Paphos is on the southern edge of Paphos, of, of Cyprus. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Pergama in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. So they go up to Perga in Pamphylia. Do you see where that is? It's the, yeah, it's the orange one in, on the southern coast there. And someplace, we don't know whether it was in Cyprus or whether it was after they got into Pamphylia, but John says, I can't take this. <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> and, and John leaves them and goes home. He says, I want my mother. <laughs> and even though you know, his, his cousin is Barnabas, he left them. Well, in Acts 15, verse 36, it says this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, this is then the start of the second missionary journey. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. All right? Wanted to take his, his cousin with him. Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and did not continue with them in the work. 
Now listen to this. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Now remember, Paul and Barnabas had worked together at this point for years. They had ministered in, in, in Antioch. They had taken their first missionary journey together. They were, you know, they were really close. But because of John Mark, they, you know, Barnabas said, this kid is good, you know, he'll, he'll be good to you. Paul said, no way, I'm not, I'm not having anything to do with, with John, John Mark. It says, Barnabas took Mark, sailed for Cyprus, okay, so he, he goes the other direction. Paul chose Silas and left, commanded by the brothers, to the grace of the Lord. Now, but here, in this verse, it says, my fellow Aristarchus sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, who receives instructions about him. If he comes, welcome him. Doesn't say avoid this guy, <laughs> this, this, this cousin of Barnabas. Doesn't say avoid him. It says welcome him. And then we, hear, we read in 2 Timothy 4.11, Only Luke is with me. Now listen to this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Wow. So here's Mark, who caused the disagreement between these two great pillars of the church. And Paul is saying, this kid, John Mark, he's useful to me in the ministry. What a transformation that's taken place, certainly in Paul's life, but in John Mark's life as well. And we don't know exactly how many years this is later, but not long afterward, the very one who caused this disagreement becomes a traveling companion and one who is very useful to Paul's ministry. Second um, example of this grace of God is Onesimus. Colossians 4.9. He is coming with Onesimus, my faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now Onesimus was a runaway slave. We, we get most of this from the book of Philemon. And he finds his way, and this is one of the reasons I believe that Ephesus is probably um, you know, more realistic for where Paul was. Uh, he got saved through Paul's ministry, and so Paul is writing to Philemon and asking him to take Onesimus back, now as a brother as well as Philemon. Uh, Philemon's slave. And so... <clears throat> Um, Onesimus had robbed his master and made his way to Ephesus and Paul was sending him back to Philemon and asking Philemon now to treat him like a brother in the Lord. And so Onesimus became a disciple of Jesus and a, and a disciple of Paul. So this is incredible to me that a runaway slave gets saved and, and goes back to his owner. Paul sends him back to his owner. And he says when he comes back, if he's stolen anything, if, he's, if, he's, you know, if there's any financial thing, I'll take care of it. And this runaway slave becomes a, a, you know, part of the church. That's what the church of Jesus Christ, I believe, is supposed to be. It's a place where people get a second chance. Now, it doesn't matter what you've been. If you've been a runaway slave, if you've been somebody that caused sharp disagreements, and so on, 
it, God is in the business of reconciling. God is in the business of bringing people together. Galatians 3.26 You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And then he goes into it. There is neither Jew nor Greek. We've just seen that. Slave nor free. We just saw a slave and free people. Male nor female. Nympha and, and all the other men. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I believe that the church is meant to be a place of reconciliation and healing. There's a... Um, Next slide. Um, no, sorry, that's a little ahead. Okay. Um, as an illustration of this, a number of years ago, we were in, um, in what is today Smyrna with some friends of ours, with Helmut and Judith, a German couple. And Helmut, uh, Caroline was doing a conference in down uh, south of, south of F, uh, well, in, actually in the Ephesus area. She was doing a conference, a women's conference, and so I was going to stay with Helmut and, the, and, um, and his son, Simeon. And so Helmut said, you know what, We've, we are, want to go to this conference up in Ankara. Do you want to go with us? And he kind of described it to me, and he didn't know that much about it. So I said, okay, yeah, sure, I'll go. So we took a bus together, and Helmut and his son Simeon and I, and I got on this bus and went up to Ankara. And it happened to be right around the corner from the place that we stay in Ankara um, often. And started attending this conference. Well, I found out what it was. It was a conference of Israelis and Palestinians. Okay? <laughs> and they weren't shooting at each other. Okay? Um, and they, you know, they... Many gave testimonies during that conference. All of, the, of them had become Christians. But they gave testimonies of how both Israelis and the Palestinians grow up being taught to hate the other. I mean, absolutely hate the other. From the time they're old enough to walk, they're told you, you can't trust them. Uh, you know, they're, they're a tool of Satan. Um, and they absolutely hated each other. And I'll just, I'll just remember one scene of, a, of an Israeli and a Palestinian with their arms around each other confessing that they'd hated each other all their lives and that in Christ they were brothers in Christ. And I thought, wow, that's what the church is. That's what the church is meant to be. Uh, this was a, I mean, it was just a powerful, powerful conference because two people who absolutely hated each other, two sides, and maybe, I don't know, maybe 100 people at this conference, and, and the, the, the presence of God's Holy Spirit in that place, ministering to these people out of their hatred and bringing them to faith in Christ and to forgiveness and reconciliation. That's what the church is meant to be. And the last thing I want to talk about is that God is at work perfecting our character as he has in all of these lives. And there's a lot of terms that are talked about in these passage. Um, Tychicus and Onesimus are talked about as dear brothers. Tychicus and Onesimus are talked about as faithful. Tychicus is talked about as a fellow servant. 
Epaphras as a servant of Christ Jesus. Epaphras as a prayer warrior. Epaphras as a hard worker. So God is in the business of redeeming lives and, and, that, and bringing people to maturity in himself. And some of the very people we think are a lost cause can be wonderfully transformed by the grace of Christ. That happened in Paul's day. It happens in our day as well. Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, sure and fully assured, I vouch for him, that he is working hard for you and for all those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. <clears throat> and then Colossians 1.7, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. So, Epaphras was probably the one who founded the church at Colossae. He was one of the Colossians. And it says that he's wrestling in prayer for them. He's, you know, he's a leader and he's just, he has this incredible burden for the church at Colossae. And he's always wrestling in prayer. For what? That they would be fully, fully mature. Fully mature and fully assured. And that's what God is doing in us. That's why we're here this morning. So that we can be mature and fully assured and become everything that God has called us to do and be. And then Tychicus, Colossians 4, 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about him. me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you now for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. <clears throat> and so... Tychicus was probably a native of Ephesus, one of the delegates chosen by the churches to bear the collection. And, and then we see these commendations of Tychicus, dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant. God is in the business of making us into the kinds of people that he's called us to be. But there are also some who fall by the wayside, Dem Demas, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. And we find in 2 Timothy 4.9, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, he didn't lose his salvation, but he lost some rewards along the way. And, and we are to stay firm in the Lord. Uh, Colossians 4.17, Tell Archippus, See to it that you complete the work that you received in the Lord. So Archippus and Demas, uh, we don't know exactly what the situation was with Archippus. We do know with Demas that he, he, uh, he left. So the lesson is this. God is building and perfecting his church. Sometimes it's a messy process, isn't it? <laughs> you know? And all of us are, are in process. We're all sinners saved by grace. We're all, we all have false... Um, you know, that's just who we are. We're, we're faulted people who found the grace of Jesus Christ. And that's what we see in this list of people. We see people, you know, in all phases, different phases of maturity in Christ, and God is at work, you know, perfecting his church and making us into what he wants us to be. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin 
that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the mark, race marked out for us. Now, this is written in Hebrew, this, these great cloud of witnesses is Hebrew chapter 11, these Old Testament saints. But we are also surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, aren't we? And you can go online and find the testimonies of you know, people all over the world who have been faithful in Jesus Christ. And we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And then he says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of heaven. So let's get our eyes on Jesus, and let's realize that Jesus is at work in us, through us and in us, perfecting us, making us into the kind of church that God has called us to be. And the amazing thing is that he can take, you know, he, he can take people like Paul and, and Onesimus, and he can take you know, Luke, and he can take Demas, and he can make all, take all of these different kinds of people and different ethnicities and all that, and somehow put it all together to the praise of Jesus Christ. I mean, it, it's incredible what God is doing. The church was no more perfect in Paul's time than it is today. All right? Um, you know, we're all imperfect vessels. We're imperfect churches. But yet God is working in us and through us. Only Christ, only the church. Beauty out of ashes. Well, next time, um, actually, Jerry will be with you next week. And then, um, and then I'm going to do a series on just leading up to Easter. And I'd like to, after... Uh, after that, start in, in, in April, um, take a look at the book of Ruth and get into the Old Testament and the beautiful story in the book of Ruth. And, um, you know, I, I, like to, I like to preach both out of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We've been in the New Testament bunch, so I like to go into, uh, into the Old Testament. So God bless you. Sing his mercy and his grace In the mansions bright and blessed He'll prepare for us a place When we all get to heaven What a day of rejoicing that will be
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for the lessons, the teachings on the church and how we can be together, how we can work, work our way together, and how they did it then, Lord, when they were so far apart, yet they knew they would always be welcome when they, when they taught your word. So, Lord, as we go out, let us reach out to others. Let us be like the original disciples, as that we can share the love and the grace that you provide. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you till we meet again. peace.